0: Hello and thank you for taking a moment to listen to God's Word today here at King City Church. Currently, we are in a series where we dig into some of the greatest biblical marriages and see what we can learn. Now prepare your heart as we travel back in time for Once Upon a Marriage. Welcome to week one of our new series, Once Upon a Marriage. Wow. I know many people were really, really excited when we posted... When we posted about this series, I got a lot of response like never before. Like people messaging me saying, Oh, Pastor, we are looking forward to the series. Now I will know how to find my Mr. Perfect, my Mrs. Perfect. You know, some and and most of those messages from the were from the people who are not yet married. So I don't know why the people who are married are not so excited about once upon a marriage, it's like, hmm, that sounds like my life right now. Once upon a time, when I was married, it feels so long back. But I did get a couple of good responses from families and people who are married, and they are really, really excited. So I hope everybody here are excited too. I know there's a lot of smiles behind your masks. I know that, I know that. I can see your mask moving like a smile. Great. We are starting this new series and it's going to be um, for the next uh, three Sundays. So including today for the next four Sundays. So we are going to look at four couples from the Old Testament to find out what does it look like to have a biblical marriage. What does it look like to have a biblical marriage? Now, I'm not an expert in marriage, so I'm going to give a couple of disclaimers. I've been uh, happily married for four years, going to be five years. So I thought it's about time, we got a fan, it's about time, um, you know, I can talk on marriage. And I I want you guys to participate with me this morning. Is that okay? All right. All the women in the house, give me a big shout. Wow, the women are so fired up this morning. Okay, how many of you dreamed of having your Mr. Perfect One and dreamt of having your perfect wedding day? Put your hands up, put your hands up, put your hands up. There you go, hands all over the place. Great. All the men in the house, can I hear it loud? Shout out. Okay. I'm hearing even women screaming for that. (laughs) Or or, or maybe men screaming like women. I'm not sure what was that. But how many of you dreamed of having a perfect, stunning woman, getting married, and having a very intimate relationship with her? All right. All right. All the men. Oh, Finney, Charles, brother. Okay. (laughs) Now... Another question to everybody who are happily married. How many of you are still dreaming for your perfect one today? (laughs) Only my wife put her hand up, okay. That basically says I can't preach further. I hope everybody online, you are also participating, put your hands up in the chat. For all the questions that I asked, you can also go ahead and participate. You know, we have a very confused definition about love in current society. Love is so confusing. Uh, People have different theories about love. People have different theories about sex. People have different theories about marriage. In fact, it is so confused. It is actually, you know, infiltrated. It's not pure anymore. It's just basically driven by external factors and lust. Today, I want us all to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. And we're going to stay in that chapter. And we're going to look at a couple In fact, there are three people involved. It's a a bit of a a complex story, a complicated marriage. Um, So we're going to look at Jacob and Leah who are married. And also there's a third person called Rachel. And we will soon find out why. The thing is, in today's world, love is portrayed of something that cannot be satisfied. You know, we are constantly seeking after things, one after another, one after another. And even when it comes in marriage, people are not satisfied. I want us to go to uh, give you a little bit of uh, context for those who don't know what is happening here in this story. (coughs) Jacob meets his uncle and he meets his uncle's daughter. And he looks at Rachel. Now, Rachel is a very beautiful girl, and Jacob looks at Rachel and goes, Ooh, I would like to marry her someday. So he's trying to have a deal with his uncle and uh, wants to work for him so that he can marry his uncle's daughter. Now, we're going to go into the story, and we're going to find out what happens. Now, in verse 16, it says, Now, Laban had two daughters. That's Jacob's uncle. The name of the older was Leah, or Leah, however you want to call it. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Leah had weak eyes. In other words, she was cross-eyed. In other words, you know, the Hebrew scholars actually say that it's the most polite way of saying that she is an unattractive woman. That she had weak eyes. And when they talk about Rachel, they're saying that she is what? She is lovely. All the guys read that. All the guys read that. But Rachel was... Lovely, in form, and uh, Are you praying? Lord, I want a Rachel. Lovely, in form, and beautiful. Now, what's happening here in Jacob's life is that he looks at Rachel and he is driven by the external factors of Rachel. Isn't that very common for all of us? When you look at anything, whether it be a girl or a guy, or you look at things that you want to eat or things that you want to buy or things that you want to wear, what do you do? You look at it if it's pleasing to your eyes. That's what they say in marketing. Feed the eyes before you feed the belly. The food should be so presentable that they're like, wow. Wow. And what they say is that when they go, wow, 80% of the need is already satisfied. So you got to only worry about the taste for the remaining 20%. But this is the problem in a lot of marriages and people who are single and looking to get married is that when they look and they're driven by external factors, they think that 80% of their actual married life need is met. But then when they go into the marriage it's the other way around. It's the 20% that's driving everything else. And that's where the problem comes. The title of my sermon this morning is, When Marriage Is Your Answer. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. People who are watching us online, or online family, you can also take down notes. Please feel free to participate in the chat. You can type, Amen. People who are watching us here, who are present here, you can also shout, Amen. You know, when marriage is your answer. I don't know how many of you saw the post that we were posting this week. And there was one question. Do you think that marriage can fix your loneliness? And a lot of people who are not yet married think that it can. And a lot of people who are married know that it can't. Amen. Thank you, my wife. Marriage cannot fix your loneliness. So when marriage is your answer, many people enter into dating or a relationship or getting married thinking that marriage solves everything. In fact, our culture has set it up that way. Oh, get him married, he'll be fine. The guy is not responsible. What do we do? He needs to learn responsibility. Teach him responsibility and don't put a woman in his life so that he's irresponsible in his life and her life. The society says, just get him married, he will earn more. Just get him married, he will learn responsibility. Just get him married, it will teach him life. But marriage, what happens when marriage is your answer? I want want to give you three things. What will happen when you enter into any relationship thinking that one person can satisfy all your needs? Needs. Do you think that logically speaking that is possible? That one person can satisfy all your needs? In fact, you know your parents more than you would know your spouse. You've lived with them longer. And if you live longer, you will outlive that. But do you think, honestly speaking, that your parents were able to satisfy all your needs? They did their best, but they, they're not able to satisfy all their needs because it is humanly impossible to satisfy all the needs of another person. So when you enter into a relationship, a marriage, thinking that marriage is your answer, the first problem is, write this down, you compromise more than you should. This is what happens you compromise more than you should. You see what happens in verse 18 is it says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, all the women, when they read this verse, they think that, oh, how romantic. It's so fantastic that this guy would work for her for seven years. I want to give you a little bit of context about Jacob. Jacob, so-called, loved Rachel because he has no clue about Rachel and who she is. He's totally driven by Rachel's external factor because in his sight, he was looking at Rachel through the imperfections of Leah. Are you with me? And because he's looking at Rachel through the imperfections of Leah, he's thinking that Rachel is the best. When you think and when you look at your spouse or when you look at your relationship or when you look at somebody potential and you look at them through your imperfections or somebody else's imperfection or compare that person to the past, you are what you're doing. You are compromising beyond what you should be compromising. You see, Jacob is known for his shortcut life. If you know the story of Jacob, how did he receive his blessing? Did he wait for seven years? He actually known, you know, he, he is known for his crookedness. He's known for taking shortcuts in life. But now when he comes to labor and he sees Rachel, he is now saying, you know, he's compromising more than he should say. I will work for you for seven years. In, in those days, the culture was that you do something in order to get married. And it was quite normal, but then you would give maybe a couple of camels, a couple of goats, a couple of cows, and then in exchange you get married. Nobody goes and works for seven years. So why was Jacob ready to do that? He killed himself so that he can achieve or obtain what he thinks is rightfully his. What he thinks in his external eyes is perfect. We need to understand something. This is not just happening in Leah in Jacob's life. Many people who are married are still dreaming about a perfect Rachel, when God has put them together with a Leah. What do I mean by that? They look at the imperfection of their spouses and still hoping for a Rachel. Many people who are not yet married are looking into marriage or wanting to go into marriage for the perfect Rachel. And you keep on seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking. And you end up driven by all the external factors, but then you have actually not weighed the reasons and why you want to go into that relationship. It is really important, another, another challenge is that you try to look at your Rachel through your weaknesses, Hoping that if I marry this person, my life would be better because she can fix that. Now what is happening is that you are giving responsibility to your spouse, which she or he did not sign up for in the first place. But in your mind, you said, oh, I can, I can take that. I think she can help with that. Well, I think she can, she can tick that box emotionally you have already set expectations and we walk into the married life those expectations are not fulfilled then immediately ah i think i married the leah not rachel you see what's happening here are you all with me second thing when marriage is your answer write this down you become demanding you see what happens in verse 21. After working for seven years, now Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. Here is Jacob now demanding to his uncle saying, give me my, give me my wife. Because I have worked for seven years, Now I own her. You see what happens psychologically in your mindset when you overcompromise, when you overdo, when you overchase somebody for your life and you chase and chase and chase and because you were chasing and you got that person and now you feel like that person owes you. Because you spent all your money on the petrol and all the money on, on those chocolates and flowers and, and all the money on going up and down, buying gifts and going to shopping malls. And finally, I am married. Give me what belongs to me. You become demanding. When marriage is your answer in your head, you go, you will enter a marriage demanding for what is yours Christ never demanded anything from his church but rather he gave himself sacrificially to the church see the love of Christ is so different than a human love God never says to us worship me so that I will give you all this he always says I have blessed you with everything. Worship me. That's a complete difference. You become demanding. You become nagging. You want to earn something out of what you have put inside the marriage. Put inside a relationship. And your mind and your attitude becomes demanding. I remember many times, I would have had a long day at work. Sometimes I'll leave the house at 7 a.m., sometimes I'll leave the house at 9 a.m., and I'll go back home at 10 a.m. and 11 a.m., uh, I mean 11 p.m. at night, and I would I would expect Jemmy to have everything set for me as if I was the only person who was slaying all the dragons working so hard, you know, dealing with Sibi during the day and talking to him and then talking to all the other people, dealing with Kenneth, dealing with Hosanna, dealing with Jackin, dealing with Joshua. I'm just saying names. um, So that I can just, you know, I have worked so hard. Now, when I come home, I could easily come with an attitude saying, where are you? Your husband, I am here right now. Thou shall come and fall at my feet. Where is my grape and my cup of wine? Where is my barbecue on a platter? Where is my welcome? When I walk in, there's nobody there in the living room. The bedroom is shut because both my wife and my daughter, they're fast asleep. She would have put my dinner there and she would have gone to bed. Now, I can't be, if I was like, I'm the only person who's I worked so hard. I worked more than 12 hours a day. And and you being at home, it's fine for you. It all worked out for you. And I could go in with an attitude saying, where is my love? Where is, you know, what I deserve, the way I should be treated? And I could easily turn into a demanding husband. When marriage is your answer, you become demanding. And the third thing is, write this down. When marriage is your answer, you'll always end up dissatisfied. You will always end up dissatisfied. When marriage is your answer, you will always end up dissatisfied. The reason is that you are putting all the responsibility on one person to satisfy you. You see in verse 23, there's a little twist in this story because so far you're only hearing about Rachel, Rachel, Rachel in Jacob's life. But where did Leah come from? So what happens is that In verse 23 says, But when evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. Now, in verse 21, who did he ask for? Who did he demand for? Rachel. Now, Leah is the eldest one, and Rachel is the youngest. And as a father, he thought, How could I send the youngest when the eldest is not yet married? So Laban had a brilliant plan, and he was sent Leah instead of Rachel. So here is, here is um, you know, Jacob, all excited, ready, and waiting for his wife-to-be to walk in. And, and, you know, she's wearing a veil, And and she walks into the room, and when morning came, Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said, oh. Everybody say, oh. There's a lot of reaction. Some men when they wake up in the morning, they say this. Oh, where's your makeup? What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me. Here is a deceiver who is asking his uncle, why have you deceived me? The very reason that Jacob ran to his uncle's house is because he deceived his brother. And now here he is having a taste of his own medicine. And he's again demanding and asking, why have you done this to me? And I'm like, Jacob, come on, like, man, you didn't even say hi to her? Like, come on. Like, Leah, come on, man, you you could have said something. Now you all know why they make you to, you know, they put in the wedding ceremony, unveiling the bride. (laughs) That's since this moment. Since that moment. The churches and the pastors and the clergies of the United Nations of India and the rest of the world decided saying, Genesis, you know, this cannot happen. Verse 25 cannot happen again in the history of church. Let's put it, let's make it on the wedding day that the unveiling happens. So when they unveil, they're like, oh, okay, it's the same person. No surprises. What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? This was, this was his dissatisfied response. This was his dissatisfied response after seeing that it was not Rachel. Many people in marriage pray this prayer to God because they have said that the husband or the wife should meet all their needs and satisfy them completely. That they are praying, Lord, why have you done this to me? I asked for a better man, I asked for a better woman, I asked for a better family, I asked for a better background and status and, and why have you done this to me? Because they are still driven by the external factors of the marriage and not the heart Of what God has actually created marriage for. If you are praying such prayers. God is calling you this morning to repent. And say Lord open my eyes. So that I will commit. Not to just receive and be satisfied. But to give. And to really love. Between verse 25 to 31 a lot of things happens and 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 you know what i i told you when marriage is your answer you do what you compromise more than you should now here is jacob again saying okay and laban says right this guy over compromised last time let me try it again so his uncle goes to um uh, goes to uh, jacob and says oops sorry man i don't know what happened there So if you want Rachel, you can still have Rachel as long as you work for me for another seven years. Now, Laban has his own motives. He's like, okay, now I've got an intern for the next 14 years. Bring it on. I've got a full-time employee already fully paid and he's going to work for me for another seven years. And he gives Rachel to her also. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel while Leah was still married to him. This is the problem. When you are in a married relationship, and, and in your marriage, you are dissatisfied with certain things. And of course, one man or one woman cannot satisfy all your needs. But are you still married your Rachel that you want or wanted in your life while you're still married to your Leah? When you are in a relationship, when you're looking to go into a relationship, are you still going with all these external factors driven by lust and external things and physical things of your life that you are actually expecting total perfect person. And if you walk into a relationship, if you walk into a marriage with that expectation, I've got news for you, your husband or your wife can never, ever satisfy you completely. Full stop. What's the answer then? You see in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. <laughs> Here is Jacob pouring out all his love on Rachel, but God's eyes was on the imperfect woman of Jacob's life, Leah. God was not God saw that Leah was not loved and opened her womb, but Rachel was barren now here is a problem we find with leia and i think many of us both men and women can relate to this this is the problem when you walk into a marriage thinking that marriage is your answer verse 32 it says leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named him reuben for she said it is because the lord has seen my misery surely my husband will she is still trying to earn his love because she gave him a son. If you walk into any relationship thinking that what you give for that person will earn the love of that person, then you are not in a marriage relationship. You are in a business trade. Now this is why I want to say this to everybody here. Whether you like it or not, I do not believe in the system of dowry and caste because it's not biblical. It's not biblical. Do not pay or try to earn somebody into your marriage. You will always be indebted to what they gave and never be satisfied. This is when conversations like, oh, I did this for you. Your family did this for me, but my family did that for you. You know, you never did that. We expected this and we went for holiday last Christmas to your family. This Christmas, we got to go to your family. We spent three days, you know, with your family. So this time we have to spend another five days with my family. All of these arguments and conversations come because you think that you are earning what you're supposed to receive freely. You don't have to earn the love of your husband. It should be given unto you. You don't have to earn the love of your wife. It should be given unto you. None of us earned love of Christ. It was given to us. Just like how Christ loves the church. Husbands, love your wife. The reason it said that is because love was given and it was given sacrificially. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You see in this story, there's no evidence anywhere that Jacob seeked God, prayed to God. That Laban seeked God, prayed to God before giving his daughter to, to Jacob. It totally Sounds like a trade that happened. There's no evidence of of God in this story. We live in a world where you are constantly taught, you need to search for the one. Look for the one. Look for your one. Look for your one. But when you don't involve God in your searching, you will end up searching for the wrong one. And many people pray for Mr. Perfect and Mrs. Perfect when they are not ready in the presence of God. Because if you are not perfect, and if your so-called spouse is praying for your perfection, then God is looking at you going, okay, you're not perfect, pass on. Logically, it's not going to work, right? Many people believe in soulmates. I just, I just have a, a small problem, just a small problem with that. Every, God has, you know, there's somebody for everybody. Of course, God has someone for you, there's no doubt in that. But if one person in this world had missed their soulmate and got married to somebody else, then the entire system is messed up. Just one person in this world, just one person, I'm saying, just one person. Did not marry their soulmate. Now what happened? That's my small problem with that theory. This is not about finding your soulmate. This is about finding God and finding your future person through God and living in God. Many people I know, quote this verse from Genesis saying that, you know, God looked at Adam and he said that he should not be alone. But before that, before God said that, it says in the Bible that Adam, he had a job, a full-time job. He was in the presence of God and then God said it is not good for him to be alone. So, If you are single and if you're not living a life in the presence of God and if you're not committed and responsible where you are working hard and you have a job and you don't and you have a job and if you don't have these two elements then the Bible also says that it is good for you to be alone. And nobody said, Amen. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You see how we've got this whole, you know, we pick a verse and we use it the way we want it to, the way we feel it to. What we need to do is, we need to change this whole theory of searching for the one. And this is what we're going to do. Are you Ready? If you're taking notes, write this down. Let God be your number one. Then you find your spouse who is your number two. Don't run around looking for your number one. Your number one should always be God. Your number one should always be God. Even if you're married, your number one should always be God. As a husband, your number one should be God. As a wife, your number one should be God. Don't love your husband more than you love Jesus. And don't love your wife more than you love Jesus. The moment you end up doing that, you start driving each other insane. Because God is not at the center of your marriage, your relationship. Because your husband's love will drain out when he's tired. Your wife's love will totally disappear when she is pregnant. And giving birth. You are the worst enemy. I was there. Once upon, no, no, the marriage is still on. It's crazy. And people try to, you know, get these things on the other way around. But you need to learn to love God and keep God as your number one so that you find your number two. The problem is, God, can you please hold on? Let me go find my number one and come. And I'll introduce her or him to you. And I would love for you to tell me if this is the right person or not. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to stand upside down. I'm going to take a lot of selfies. In fact, I'm going to create a separate Instagram profile for that. So that everybody who sees me will see that I'm a godly person. Don't twist spirituality for your needs, physical needs. Let God be your number one so that you will find your spouse who is your number two. So everybody who are listening to this series, and if you're not yet married, you pray hereafter saying "The Lord, one day help me to be ready for my number. Ah. And you stop with two. don't go for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You stopped right there. May God be your number one. You see, this is what happens in Leah's life. Leah had three sons. And if you go through the verses I don't have time now between 32 to 30 to uh, 35 you see that her response was always like, "Go back." If your response was always like, surely my husband will love me now. Second son, surely my husband will love me now. Third son, surely my husband will love me now. But then when it came to her, came to her fourth son, she conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. It was different. She learned that it is God who is the only person who can satisfy me. It says, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children because she didn't want to earn her husband's love by giving him sons because she knows that the God saw her and loves her unconditionally. She found her number one. And realized that Jacob is her number two. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And I want you to notice something. It is Leah, the imperfect woman. The scholars who called her crossed eyes. A polite way of saying unattractive woman. It was that woman who was the mother of Judah. And it is through Judah, and it is through that generation, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, was born. So if you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you don't find Rachel in it. You find God is your number one, and God Gives you an imperfect person in your life so that he can show how perfect he is when he puts, when you put God in the center of your relationship. If you're going to walk in into a marriage or if you're in a marriage still praying for, Lord, change my husband. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, change my wife. Don't walk into a marriage. Thinking that whatever you see, before you get married, you will just see a triple portion of the same person, just good or worse. My mentor said, when he was um, you know, preparing me for, to get married, and he said, Sam, when you look for a wife, keep both your eyes open. which means I can't wink at anybody. Keep both your eyes open, which means keep both your eyes at God and may God bring the perfect person into your life who will be imperfect, but perfect in God's sight because he can work through her life. But after, he said, after you are married, close one eye. That is, close one eye so that you will not look at the imperfections of your spouse, but rather keep that one eye open always in God. So when you look at relationship, when you look at a person, oh, after I get married, I will change him. No, you won't. After I get married, I will change her. I will teach her. I will correct her. <laughs> That's the end of your life, brother. You'll not be doing anything. You'll only be singing, I surrender all. Hello, bro, where are you? Hey, I'm singing. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed wifey, I. Don't think that you can change just because you are married to that person. It won't work. When both of you are trying to change each other, how would that be? You are wrong. No, you are wrong. No, I am right. You are wrong. It will be constant. Both of you should have Jesus at the center who is the perfect one when he is your perfect one you both can be a perfect two for each other amen I hope you were blessed by the sermon from the series Once Upon a Marriage. Make sure you share it with someone else who you think can also be blessed. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving an offering at www.kingcitychurch.org forward slash give and we will see you next week with a brand new sermon. God bless.